Welcome to Design 30. My name is Jason Bilyeu, and in this podcast, I provide design strategies and tools to improve creativity, innovation, and overall design confidence. Design is a skill that can be learned. What are your first thoughts when you hear me say that? Because I recently posted this on my Instagram and Twitter this past week, and I've got a little bit of pushback on it. And it's something that I've got a little bit of pushback on in the past as well. So in this episode, I want to dive into this concept a little bit more in depth uh, than I have perhaps in the past of what it means for design to actually be a skill that can be learned, something that you can improve at. But before I get into that, as always, please follow Design30 on Instagram, on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube, and subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcatcher app you use. And if you really want to be supportive of the podcast, please share it. Finally, if you want to read more of my thoughts, then listen to them. You can do that on Substack. So on Substack, I try to post uh, one, right now it's about one to two times a month. Uh, you can become a free or a paid subscriber on there. And that is another way to get even more design content that I'm creating and putting out into the world. Okay, so going back to this idea of Design is a skill that can be learned. So I want to talk about this a little bit. And then towards the end of the podcast, I'm actually going to reference a book that I've talked about quite a few times and still love it. It's called Creative Confidence. Again, I can't recommend this book enough. I think it has just tons of very practical content and ideas. And it even has like step-by-step directions of how to do different things. It also has a lot of just kind of the philosophy behind design and how to, uh, exactly what the title says, how to create this confidence in yourself that you can actually be creative. So when I say that design is a skill that can be learned, I know some people push back against this a little bit because design is very difficult. It's not something that everyone is naturally good at. Uh, Some people are more naturally gifted with design, I would say. There's some people who just have an eye for, I mean, there's a ton of different types of design, obviously, um, but there's definitely people who have an eye for architecture, people who have an eye for art, people who have an eye for mechanical design. So in a lot of that, what plays in that is just how you were brought up, what interests you. Uh, Honestly, you know, it's might sound cliche, but if you grew up building stuff out of Legos and building little model cars and watching YouTube videos on how engines and transmissions work, you're probably going to have a really good intuition of how mechanical components fit together and a good eye for how to design those sorts of things. Uh, but there's also a part of design that I think is very much learned. And the reason I feel this way is I wouldn't have called myself someone who was naturally gifted with design growing up. I I was good at school. I was uh, really good at math. If you gave me a predefined set of rules, I could implement that like nobody's business, right? And that's basically what math is. Like, here's the process. uh, Go apply it to all these different situations. 
And I was, I was pretty good at that. Uh, I was good at sports because you gave me these rules. I could play within those rules. But I wouldn't have considered myself someone who was necessarily creative or necessarily good at designing things. So that's been something that I've been working at. And once I got into college and was going through uh, my engineering physics undergrad and really started to learn a little bit more about engineering and how uh, design can be implemented in, in engineering, that really caught my attention. And then, of course, in grad school, uh, I focused, I did mechanical engineering with the focus in design. And that's really what exposed me to a lot of this. That's where I found out about this book, Creative Confidence. Um, but so it's been a skill that I feel like I've been developing. And so that's why I try to push this quite a bit, that design is something you can improve at, even creativity. I mean, I know there's some people who are naturally more creative and, you know, for whatever reasons that might be, maybe it's purely genetic. I don't know, but there's definitely some natural ability there, but there's a lot of it that can be cultivated and, and improved and if you just are able to build up, um, well, basically learning some of the processes, some of us like processes, we like rules and you can use those to get better at things. And lo and behold, you can actually use that to get better at being creative. Uh, so getting back to this statement, design is a skill that can be learned. I see the, a lot of this being just getting better at solving problems. And I think that's a part of that's a mindset thing. Uh, it's a confidence to be willing to try out new things to a confidence to maybe take an idea from a whole different world, a whole different realm of work. And you take that idea and apply it to what you do for work. Some that can be uh, a little bit intimidating because maybe other people would think, well, there's no way that would actually work in what we do. That's for, that's what artists do, or that's what, uh, I don't know. That's what plumbers do. And we do roofing. I don't know. But I think there, there's a certain confidence, a certain mindset to be willing to, to try different ways to solve problems. And I think a lot of that will, will improve and translates to your ability to design. A lot of it is, um, a lot of the skills you use in design is really just the ability to solve problems. And then I think there's also, um, a culture of experimentation that goes along with someone who is creative and someone who is a good designer. They're willing to try out a bunch of different ideas. And now some of us try out a bunch of different ideas just in our head. And so it doesn't look like we're doing that. People from the outside can't see all of the gears turning and all of the different things we're thinking through. And then for other people, they need to physically do it. They need to have some sort of model in their hands. They need to try this, try that. They need to write it down. They need to, uh, you know, create a storyboard depending on what field you're working in. Uh, but they need to actually put pen to paper and do something in the physical world. So there's different ways of experimenting. There's different ways of trying things, but creating a culture of experimentation, I would say within yourself, it's just having the willingness to, to fail, to get things wrong to be embarrassed. These are things that I have not traditionally been very good at, uh, but things I'm trying to work on. One of the reasons actually I started this podcast is, you know, it's an experiment. It's trying something new. It's something that uh, it could flop. I could fail, but at the same time, it's, it's an, it's an experiment. It's trying to build this, uh, 
what would you say, almost kind of this resiliency with trying new things, with creating new things. And so you have to have this willingness to fail and you have to be willing to get stuff wrong. So you have to be, I think you probably hear it a lot uh, in different uh, in different circles, but you have to be willing to be a beginner again. And with someone who works with design and you're trying to come up with new creative ideas, that means you're trying new things a lot, right? So you're not going to be an expert on every new thing that you try to create. So you have to be willing to be a beginner in a lot of this stuff. So those are kind of some of my first main points on on what I mean by design is a skill that can be learned. It's getting better at problem solving, which obviously there's a technical aspect to that, which you can improve at. You can learn more, research more. It's a mindset thing. That's something you can just work on on a daily basis is kind of creating this mindset and this confidence of trying, of willingness to try new things, a willingness to fail and realizing that you can actually learn a ton from failing and failing often improves your designs more than successes do. And just overall a willingness to get stuff wrong, to learn from that, implement it, and then eventually get stuff right. I think that's how you build up your design skills. And so that leads me to this book that I mentioned earlier, which is called Creative Confidence. It's by Tom Kelly and David Kelly. Um, Tom Kelly is the best-selling author of a book called The Art of Innovation. And David Kelly is the founder of IDEO, as well as the Stanford D School. So both these guys obviously know what they're talking about when it comes to creativity. They've got a ton of experience. I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, IDEO was involved in the creation of the first mouse uh, for computers for Macs. So that's a little bit of a claim to fame for them. But in this book, they have... Uh, this section ta- uh, called Design Driven Innovation. And I think it's actually a really good uh, process for someone to fall to follow if they are trying to improve their design skills. And th- so this is one of the things I mean about this book is there's just so many good, just well laid out ways to improve yourself when it comes to being creative and when it comes to being a designer. So this is a four-step process. The first step is inspiration. They say, don't wait for the proverbial apple to fall on your head. Get out in the world and proactively seek experiences that will spark creative thinking. Interact with experts. Immerse yourself in unfamiliar environments and role-play customer scenarios. Inspiration is fueled by a deliberate planned course of action. So here, I think this is great advice. I mean, so often we feel like we don't have inspiration. We don't know what to work on. We can't think of any cool new ideas. And what they're saying, well, you can't, those things don't just come to you. They don't just fall. An apple doesn't just fall on your head and you come with a great idea. You have to be very proactive with that kind of stuff. You have to go out in the world. You have to try new things. You need to interact with people. If you're like me and more introverted, maybe that's a little bit more intimidating, but it's worth doing. Um, You need to role play customer scenarios. So if you do have a business or somewhere where you have customers and you're trying to gain some inspiration on how to have a better customer experience, go out in the world and just kind of role play customer scenarios in the real world. Think through it, maybe talk with someone, maybe bring a coworker to actually physically role play it. Um, You're not gonna get inspiration by just sitting in your office and staring at a a blank piece of paper. You need to get out into the world. You need to go do things. 
So again, like they say, inspiration is fueled by deliberate planned course of action. So you have to be deliberate and you actually have to plan it. If you want inspiration, it's not going to come out of nowhere. You got to, you got to plan on getting inspired, which means you got to plan on going out into the world and doing real world things. Uh, the next step they have is synthesis. After your time in the field, the next step is to begin complex or is to be, wow. Okay. Let me start over on this one. After your time in the field, the next step is to begin the complex challenge of sense making. You need to recognize patterns, identify themes, and find meaning in all that you've seen, gathered, and observed. We move from concrete observations and individual stories to more abstract truths that span across groups of people. We often organize our observations on an empathy map, and they have a section in this book describing what an empathy map is, or create a matrix to categorize types of solutions. During synthesis, we strive to see where the fertile ground is. We translate what we've uncovered in our research into actionable frameworks and principles. We reframe the problem and choose where to focus our energy. For example, in retail environments, we've discovered that if you change the question from how might we reduce customer waiting time to how might we reduce perceived waiting time, it opens up a whole new avenue of possibility. Like using a video display Uh, like using a video display wall to provide an entertaining distraction. Okay. So this section of synthesis is about you take all this stuff that you've observed when you're on your inspiration journey that you've planned deliberately, you've been out in the field, you've been gaining ideas. Now you need to come back and actually bring it all together. You need to make sense of it. You need to identify themes and find kind of the hidden meanings, but behind the actions you've observed or uh, the questions people are asking out in the real world. You need a way of grouping that all together, writing it all down, and then, yeah, making these connections. And this is something that actually is very difficult and it takes a lot of practice. And this is where someone who's naturally more creative, they're usually really good at making these connections between seemingly disconnected things, right? So this is a place where you might have some people on your team who shine more in this perspective. Maybe you have people on your team who shine more on the inspiration phase. So that's another part of design, especially when you're in a team setting is figuring out who's good at what, right? Who's, who has skills in this, who has skills in that, who enjoys this, who enjoys that. And just trying to get people in a place where they are, are going to be most effective. Number three is ideation and experimentation. Next, we set off on an exploration of new possibilities. We generate countless ideas and consider many divergent options. The most promising ones are advanced in iterative rounds of rapid prototypes. Early rough representations of ideas that are concrete enough for people to react to. The key is to be quick and dirty, exploring a range of ideas without becoming too invested in only one. These experimental experimental uh, or experiential learning loops help to develop existing concepts and spur new ones based on feedback from end users and other stakeholders we adapt iterate and pivot our way to human-centered compelling workable solutions experimentation can include everything from crafting hundreds of physical models for delivering transdermal vaccines to using driving simulators for testing new vehicle systems to acting out the check-in experience at a hotel lobby And this is one that I talk about all the time, right? Ideation, experimentation, 
building prototypes, rapid prototypes, uh, sometimes called prototypes, which is a pre-prototype. It's just the simplest form of a prototype. And this is huge. This is actually where so many good ideas come from and it allows you to test out so many different ideas without a lot of investment, without a lot of investment in time or money. So if you want to improve your design skills, you want to come up with better designs, this is probably one of the things I'd recommend the most. Just spend a ton of, well, spend time ideating, maybe not a ton of time, but spend time coming up with as many ideas as you can and then figure out which ones you can actually prototype and then get those in the hands of users. Get them in your own hands. You're going to learn so much from actually having a physical product in your hands. Or like they say, maybe it's a simulator. Maybe you're simulating something. Maybe you're uh, you need to actually go to a hotel lobby or create a fake hotel lobby and practice the, the check-in experience and try a bunch of different ways of doing that. So this is, again, goes back to your willingness to experiment, your willingness to fail, because a lot of these prototypes are going to be terrible failures. They're not going to work very well, but they're going to give you information. They're going to give you ideas and they're going to let you know a lot of what doesn't work. But every now and then, right, you're going to find something that does work. And so that's why it's important. Number four, implementation. Before a new idea is rolled out, we refine the design and prepare a roadmap to the marketplace. Of course, rollouts can be very, can vary wildly depending on which elements of an experience or product are involved. Going live with a new online learning platform is very different from offering a new banking service. The implementation phase can have many rounds. More and more companies in every industry are beginning to launch new products, services, or businesses in order to learn. They live in beta and quickly iterate through new in-market loops that further refine their offering. For example, some retailers launch pop-up stores as a way to test demand in new cities. In Boston-based startup Clover Food Lab began uh, with a single food truck at MIT to gauge the market for its sustainable vegetarian food before the company committed to opening brick and mortar restaurant locations. So here they're just talking about there's different ways to implement and you can implement a lot of ideas as betas, right? You don't have to commit fully and invest all of this money, all of this capital into doing a full brick and mortar restaurant, for example. You can start small. You can start with a little food truck, which is kind of like a beta version of your product. So there's a lot of different ways to implement your ideas that allow you to still iterate, still come up with new ideas, still change and pivot to figure out uh, the best way to deliver the service, the best product that you want to offer from your company. So there's a lot of different ways to implement these ideas. And so right there, that was four simple steps with just really practical advice. And I think this book is full of ideas like this. And so there's one more set of ideas I want to go through on this episode. And they title that reframing techniques. They say, here are some ways to reframe your problem. Try them and see if they lead you to a better question uh, or to a better question to answer. One that addresses a human need and sparks more inspiration. So number one, step back from obvious solutions. Instead of trying to invent a better mousetrap, for example, look at other ways to mouseproof your home. Maybe the mousetrap isn't really the problem. So, and this is just, you know, a, like it says at the beginning, a reframing technique. This is just 
trying to build the skill of looking at the problem in a different way. And so number two is along the same lines, uh, alter your focus or point of view. John F. Kennedy changed Americans to ask not what your country can do for you. Oh, sorry. Let me start over. John F. Kennedy charged Americans to ask, uh, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Encouraging us to rethink our rights and obligations. Changing your point of view often means shifting focus to a different stakeholder, to a parent instead of a child, or to a car buyer instead of the car dealer. So here's just another great piece of uh, practical advice. How many people are viewing your product and how many different points of view are there? Can you uh, take a different point of view from one of those other people and learn something new about what you should offer, about how attractive that product actually is? Uh, maybe there is little insights that you can gain from simply just thinking of different points of view from different people. Uh, they go on to number three, uncover the real issue. Decades ago, Harvard Business School professor Theodore Levitt observed people don't want to buy a quarter inch drill they want a they want a quarter inch hole if you only ask questions about drills you might miss out on the possibility of using lasers to cut or to create small precise holes like the ones in some laptop speaker grills so here yeah it's like what this is kind of reframing the problem like what is the problem what is the need that is actually uh, needs to be met and what are the different ways to doing that? I, I, I mean, this one is classic, right? People don't want to buy a quarter inch drill. They want a quarter inch hole. So what are different ways to provide people what they actually need? And to get to that, you first have to redefine, well, okay, what do they actually need here? You can get so focused on your product and what your product does that you lose sight of what the user is actually using your product for. So there's a nice piece of just practical advice right there. Number four, look for ways to bypass resistance or mental blocks. If you try to get people to stop drinking the impure water from the local well in a developing country, you may find villagers responding, my mother gave me water from this well. Are you saying my mother was wrong? If you want to break the past, that kind of question has to be completely reframed. Instead, you can show how impure and dangerous their current well water is in contrast to how safe the purified water is. Then you can ask a completely different question to parents anywhere in the world. Which water would you want your children to drink? New question, very different answer. Uh, yeah, so right there, just more practical advice. How to get around someone who's resisting this change, even if that change would be better for them. Number five, think about the opposite. Working with the Community Action Project in Oklahoma, IDEO.org, co-leaders Jocelyn Watt and Patrice Martin, were struggling with how to gain more involvement from their inner city par parents in programs that would help their kids' futures. Faced with participation rates of less than 20%, they were racking their brains trying to come up with the solutions. But when they approached the challenge from the opposite direction and asked, what are all the reasons we can get we can't get parents to participate? Busy lives, transportation issues, childcare. It got all the issues out on the table and pointed to possible solutions. For example, instead of emphasize, emphasizing that the programs were free, organizers started communicating how valuable the programs were for parents and their children. Flipping the question around can be useful 
or can be a useful tool for getting past preconceptions or routine ways of thinking so that you can see the situation in new ways. So think about the opposite. Just think about what you're offering and are there different ways to present that? I think right here is a great idea. They're pushing that this is free, free to come, free to come enjoy, free, free, free. And people hear free, they often think cheap, they often think that's oh, probably not great, uh, it's probably not well funded. But if you flip that question around and you focus more on, okay, well, what is the value that we're actually offering these people? What's the value of our product? What's the value of our app? What are we providing people? And that's just a whole different way of marketing your product, um, whole different way of looking at what you do um, from a creative confidence standpoint. And so I'm going to leave it there for this episode. Again, I, I can't recommend this book enough. Creative confidence. Uh, the subtitle is unleashing the creative potential within us all. So we all have some ability to be creative and it might look different for a lot of different people. It might not be what is traditionally considered creative, uh, but there are ways to um, improve it and ways to use it to improve our lives, improve our work, improve our businesses, and improve the products that we are designing. So with that, I want to say just one more time, please feel free to follow Design30 on Instagram, Twitter, subscribe at YouTube. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can share it. And finally, if you want to support the podcast as well and support me, you can become a free or a paid subscriber at substack.com. Okay, well, have a great week, everybody. And as always, remember, design more, despair less. Thanks for listening.